Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of City Talk. Tonight is very special. Ray Fouché was a guest on this program in late December of 2021. Fouché was a talking book reader at the American Printing House for the Blind in Louisville, Kentucky for over 20 years. I say was because unfortunately, Fouché passed away last Thursday due to cancer which surprised many of us. So here in tribute is the interview that we did with talking book reader, Ray Fouché. WBCA Radio is proud to present City Talk, where fascinating conversation is alive and well. With your host, Boston Radio veteran, Ken Meyer. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of City Talk. Those of you that read talking books, and I'm sure there are many of you, uh, will recognize this voice. He is one of the most recognizable and best talking book readers I've ever heard in my entire life. He works at APH, the American Printing House in Louisville, Kentucky, and he is none other than Mr. Ray Fouché. And Ray, again, I can't tell you what a thrill it is to, to talk to you after hearing that voice for many years. <laughs> it has been many years, that's for sure. Uh, I thank you for the uh, nice comment there. I, I told Chet Smalley, our treasurer of our alumni association, yesterday that I was going to do this interview. He was just as excited as I was when he found out who it was. Oh, good. So you got a lot of fans, my friend. So uh, always from them, hear about them, and hear from them. All right. So take me through from the days of watching the Mickey Mouse Club, the Hardy Boys, and Spin and Marty, uh, to starting to record for the American Printing House. Take your time doing it and have a good time doing it. Oh, wow. Uh, well, what Ken's referring to is a conversation we had yesterday uh, that uh, alluded to uh, things I remembered from uh, my childhood. But uh, I, I guess what he really wants me to do is uh, talk about, uh, first of all, how I got involved uh, heavily with books and reading in the first place. And when I was a, a little kid, a very small kid, I, I through the help of my sister, uh, became a fairly precocious reader. And uh, the Hardy Boys were among the very first favorites that I had, along with the Bobsy Twins, if you can remember those guys. Um, I ate those books up a whole lot. And then there were comic books, and I just uh, I loved them, too. Um, Superman is what I was going to say was my hero, but he's still my hero. Superman rocks. Um, but in any case, I, I, I was intrigued by books my entire life. And um, I got into uh, television and using my voice uh, at a relatively late age, I guess. I was about uh, 30 when my opportunity to do that happened. And it, it happened because I was doing a newspaper column about old TV shows. And that led to me uh, meeting the general manager of uh, one of the stations and uh for some reason, he saw some hope for me, I suppose, and offered me a job at the station. Uh, but what was good about that was that uh, when I was young, people would comment on my voice. They'd just say, oh, you've got, you know, got a nice voice because I had a very deep voice at that time. Uh, so I became an announcer for the station. That, that's a roundabout way of getting to that. Um, 
And uh, one day I was talking to a gentleman who did some uh, announcing for our station, as well as me. He was freelancing there, and he was an older man than me. His name is Jerry Fordyce. Um, and there may be some people out there who've been listening to Talking Books for a long time who would uh, recognize that name because he recorded books for the uh, American Printing House. And uh, I was kind of fascinated with what he was telling me that he was doing because I didn't realize there was an opportunity to do anything like that at all. And uh, to make a long story short, he gave me some contact information over there and said, you know, I ought to try that out if I was interested in doing it. And I did and uh, went through the audition process and got a chance to do it. That was back in 1982. Um, And uh, I caught on to that very quickly and realized that I really loved doing it. Uh, first book I ever did was a, a Western. I'm not a big Western fan, but they, uh, they gave me a Western. Stan Bass was its name. And now uh, I've been doing this now for what will be next year, 40 years. And I've uh, recorded over a thousand books during that time. And I suppose we'll get a chance to talk about a few of them as this show unfolds. Oh, absolutely. And I do recognize that name. Um, I read a baseball book by G- the Jerry Fordyce, Fordyce voiced, as a matter of fact. Um, that makes sense. He was, uh, he was a big sports fan, and uh, he would have been good on a baseball book. Yeah, well, you, you are too, and you've been good, I note, on sports books, um, legal fiction, and also true mm-hmm. crime. So you, you've run the gambit. And I, those are the those are the three uh, uh, genres that I probably like the most too. Although there have been some things that uh, have fallen outside those categories that are really enjoyed as well. But uh, yeah, that seems to be what people know me for, and it's it's the thing that uh, I feel like I probably do the best job on. Yeah, I uh, I note. Uh, I'm trying to recall this morning. At two o'clock in the morning, some of your books. So you know what I do in the middle of the night when I'm going to do an interview. But uh, I remember some books by Roger Angel, like uh, Season Ticket and uh, Around the Park and um, a couple of others. Yeah, the titles sometimes escape me after all these years, but uh, (laughs) I remember doing his books. Do you ever get now? I we talked yesterday about a book. that I read several years ago and it stayed with me and I reread it because it was so bizarre. It was a, it was a true crime book and it happened in Canada and it was by two guys. um, And their names just went out of my head, Scott, somebody and Alan, somebody else. Um, (laughs) And it was called death by innocence. And it was about a guy named Paul Bernardo and a lady that he married and they killed her sister as well as two other girls. Yes. Do you, do you you remember that? Yes. I recall doing that. I am thinking I probably recorded that maybe at least 10, 15 years ago. And uh, it was a, I won't say it was a good story, uh, but it was a fascinating story. Uh, And and there's some, you know, that's true of all, true crime um you know there's so much of a glut of true crime now in in american media you know i mean the, uh how many streaming and cable networks are just devoted to that genre completely but it's not all interesting it may be all true but yeah. it's not all interesting 
and uh, it used to be that uh, there wasn't so much of it around so that when you got a true crime story, it got published or got made into a movie or a, a TV show because it was interesting. That's no longer the case. That's that's not the requirement anymore. Uh, but uh, the best of those books are always uh, really, um, again, good is kind of a funny term to use because you're talking about, you know, killers and bad people. But uh, there's always a fascinating twist to the to the best ones. And that was a that was a really nice book. Well, nice is a yeah. really funny word to use. But that it was, was it was a. It was a fascinating book. I, I stayed very interested in that, and uh, I thought it was one of the better ones I've done. Yeah, it was. It was very good. And uh, the the woman, Carla, is out of prison now, as far as I know. Bernardo is still there, and there is no death penalty in Canada. So right. if things go the way that they should, he'll serve out the rest of his time until he's dead. Mm-hmm. We, I would say, I would hope so. In that instance, I'm kind of uh, shocked <laughs> that she's out, but you yeah. know, things, stranger things have happened. Yeah. Um, do you ever? Uh, now, I know I get this way with some books. I mean, you have you ever had a book where you start reading it and think, "Oh boy, I can go back and read some more tomorrow," and you really get caught up in a book? Oh yes, yeah. The the, the best ones are always that way. It's. Uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, a, it's a job. It's the only thing I do now that I'm retired. So, you know, it's the reason to get up in the morning and drive to the studio and spend a few hours there recording a session. But, uh, you know, some days it seems like a job other days. It seems like, yeah, I'm really excited about this book. I like it a whole lot. And unlike a lot of the, or probably even most of the narrators, I very rarely prepare ahead of time. I tend to read cold uh, and a lot of people shake their heads and they say they can't even understand how I do that. And I don't know. It wasn't like I was trained to do this or anything. It's just, it keeps me interested, you know, as opposed to reading something I've already read. And I just find that I'm fairly adept at it. And there are times when I'll find myself a page or two into something. I'll think I read that completely incorrectly. That was a, Let's stop. Let's go back and do it over again. But I don't have to do that too often. And so when I'm into a good book, well, it's just like reading it for pleasure as opposed to, you know, reading it for, uh, for the job. Have, have you ever found because of this that you have become a fan of, of somebody that you didn't think you would be until you read it on Talking Book? Oh, absolutely. I've encountered a whole lot of uh, authors that have become, you know, legendary in my mind. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily that I heard of them the first time through uh, the book I did, but I had never read anything of theirs before. And there are a lot of authors that I'm hearing of for the first time when I get assigned their books. One of the best examples of that is has got to be Ed McBain. Now, I knew of the existence of the 87th Precinct series of books. I remembered when I was a child, there was a, a, an 87th Precinct uh, a network TV show. I didn't watch it then because I, it wasn't the kind of thing I'd be interested in watching on TV when I was eight or nine. But uh, I got assigned one of his books and I fell in love with that book right away. And fortunately for me, I got assigned another and another and another and another. And I, 
I don't know how many of those books I've recorded over the years. I got to the point, I had not gone back and gotten all the older ones. They were giving me a lot of the older ones to do, uh, but I, I didn't get to fill in all of them. But I, I got to the point where as a new one came out when he was still alive, uh, we would get the book and I would record it. And I got to do all of those right up to the end. And it killed me, you know, when he died, uh, that there weren't going to be any more of these. But he's just one example. Lawrence Block is another uh, he does the Matt Scudder series, along with a lot of other series as well. Um, and again, it's, it's, that's a private detective series. And those are tremendous. He's a tremendous author. And then I wound up getting interested in reading some of his other stuff that isn't necessarily crime uh, novels and even a lot of uh, short story collections that he's edited. I just find that, that he's excellent. And there are a lot of examples uh, of that that I could, I could tell you about. Uh, we could take an hour or two just talking about authors I've uh, discovered. Uh, just to give you two more names that uh, uh, blew me away and, and I became very devoted to following their stuff. Uh, J.R. Moringer, I did a book of his uh, named Sutton. And I think it may be one of the best things I ever, best jobs I ever did of recording a book. And then there was uh, an author named uh, Robert McCammon, who wrote a book called Boy's Life, which I think might be my favorite book ever, just as a reader. Uh, I don't know if I did a great job on the book, but I just fell in love with that book. And I, I neither of them have really written a great, huge number of other books, but I managed to track down all the other stuff. It's it's really worth following up on. So now tell us tell us how this whole process works. Do you do you get to pick from a selection, or does somebody slap a book on your desk and say, "Here, uh, choice number two. That's it. I, I find out what they've assigned to me, uh, and uh, yeah, but that's not totally random either." The uh, the people who make those choices, especially the the woman who runs the studio at the American Printing House, she knows us all very well and knows what our strengths are and what our weaknesses are. So I'm not going to get assigned a book, a how-to book on embroidery uh, or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> um, and you know that now that works against you sometimes because uh, I think as I mentioned to you yesterday in our conversation, uh, I'm not reading a book right now. Uh, that's kind of unusual. Usually there's something for me to be working on, but uh, books come in from the uh, Library of Congress. Uh, I don't know who chooses at the Library of Congress which of the recording houses get which books, but we get the books uh, in, and that's the first time uh, anybody at our place sees what we've been assigned for that uh, you know, two-week period or that month or whatever. And at that point, they have to be uh, assigned to the, the various narrators that work at the printing house. Uh, and right now, there are no books that they've gotten that uh, that fit into my category. And I can believe that to be the case because uh, there aren't always that many books that are assigned at a given time. So sometimes there might be a, a small sampling and maybe they all are how-to books about embroidering. Who knows? But uh, usually within a few more weeks, more books come in and they can find something that will fit my talents. Uh, but that's, that's how that works. It's, uh, it's not me choosing, but you kind of, over the course of your career, if you stay there for a long time, you do choose what's coming your way because what you're good at is, is what they'll give you. But I think what's been happening because the books are now being done commercially 
and available to buy on CDs in stores, you guys are losing out on some books. Um, like, for instance, yeah, right about that. I, that. That's definitely the case. And I, um, you know, fortunately, I'm an old man. So, you know, I, I don't think I got to worry about, uh, uh, you know, any kind of a huge hit I'll take in the very, very short term. But uh, that's the model for the future. And uh, I'm not so sure that there will even be uh, talking book recording studios uh, like APH in the long future. Yeah. But I like one one example is the James Grappando series. Uh, this yeah. gentleman writes about a mythical detective uh, named Switek, who is a combination right. lawyer and detective. And there have been four or five books that have come out recently that have been done commercially. And the reader is very good. I won't take anything away from him, but he's not you. And it, it, it took a while to get used to it because you get comfortable with guys or, or, or ladies reading a particular uh, character in a particular series. And all of a sudden it's gone. And I don't mm -hmm. know about you, but I resent it. Well, I, I don't I won't say I resent it, but, uh, you know, because that's taking offense where I don't think any's intended, but uh, I don't like it. You know, I love to do in the uh, slide tech books. And uh, I always thought uh, back 10, 15 years ago that uh, the commercial audiobooks wouldn't be taking over for what we did, because at that time, the vast, vast majority of those books were highly edited in a bridge. Uh, to bring down their length. And I thought, well, you know, we're doing a whole different thing. We're doing every word of the book always, uh, nothing left out. And uh, that's a whole different product. And there were a lot of commercially released books that I had recorded. And uh, there's no competition there because the people who wanted to read it the way I had recorded it didn't want to hear an abridged version. Meanwhile, the people who were purchasing the, uh, the commercial versions, they did want uh, you know, they didn't mind the uh, the abridgment and they wanted to hear things in a more compact package. Now, though, I'm finding that a whole lot of the commercial books are the full thing. Uh, I can't see a big reason why they choose us over the commercial version. I think the readers are better and they're more selective uh, in, in picking the readers to read uh the books that commended both APH and uh, American Foundation in New York and uh, the think, organization. You think better. You're saying you think our narrators are better? Oh, definitely. Okay. Well, I, I love to hear that. I'm not disagreeing with you. I think though that the, uh, you know, the narrators for the commercial books in a lot of cases are also chosen for their star power. Uh, well, yeah. In, in many cases, I think, you know, they're people you've heard of. Uh, and there's an extra draw on the uh, case when you're in the store and looking to buy one of these books that, oh, I know this guy, I like this actor. And uh, we want to hear it. He may not be a great narrator, but uh, his name or her name helps helps sell the book. I understand that. Uh, again, I don't resent that either. It, it is what it is. But uh, they're two different, completely different things. I'm glad to hear that you think we do the better work. Uh, oh, definitely. Although... I must tell you, it is kind of neat to get a book and have the president of the former president of the United States read it or sit yes. down and or listen to Alex Trebek uh, read his book. 
yeah. that he wrote. There's a real draw. Yeah, there's a draw to that. And uh, in a lot of cases, it's a draw that's justified. Although I'll tell you what I, I have heard several examples of, and there are exceptions to what I'm about to say, but the author reading his or her own book generally makes me cringe. <laughs> I, 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 I really feel in the, now I may have, I may, I haven't listened to a whole, maybe I've heard six, seven of the examples of that in my life. So, you know, I'm hardly an expert on the, on the subject, but I, aside from maybe one exception, uh, I have thought that, boy, it was an eye opener to me that you would think the person who wrote the book would come, would have an, at least, even if they don't have a great voice, they would have a natural understanding for how the phrasing should go in the book, you know, just where emphasis goes on words, because this is the person who put these words in these characters' mouths, and I found that in most cases, uh, they were completely inept at conveying that. Uh, and I found it funny that anybody decided they should even do that. Now, as you say, Alex Trebek doing his book, I can imagine that he would do a fine job. He did. But that's because, he, did. That's because he, he, in his career, was also a reader, really. I mean, he wasn't reading books. He was reading off the off the teleprompter, and he, you know, he was a performer, a voice performer all along. Right, right. And well, yeah. um, Barack Obama had a pretty good voice too. And yes. um, it's, he was, it's he was a communicator. You know, that was it. He he understood communication. But being a writer doesn't necessarily mean that you're good at communicating, other than through the written word. Well, I usually check the, the Bard website every day, and I just found that John Gresham is reading one of his own books, and I'm anxious to check that out. I mean, I've read a lot of his books, but he has never read them, so I'm curious to see how he's going to sound reading his own That's book. It. Yeah, well, he's got some good material to work with, so uh, <laughs> you know, we'll see what happens. But, but I also like to think that if they find out that if an author doesn't do a good job reading the book, they'll get somebody else to do it, I hope. I, well, I would think so. You know, you never know. Uh, you may have an author, and I'm, I'm completely making up these possibilities. You may have an author who insists on doing his or her own work. Um, I don't know. Uh, maybe egos come into play there. Uh, most of them, though, sound like they would rather be anywhere else than, than doing what they're doing at that moment. So I, I can't believe that's going to be the case in most cases. Um, but again, they maybe they think that's a draw. Um, now, somebody who does do a lot of his own material, but I've never heard an example of it. So I don't know what it sounds like. is Stephen King. And, uh, you know, now there's talking talk about a name that sells something. Now, I think maybe a lot of people are going to get that recorded version simply because they want to hear Stephen King do his story. I personally have no opinion for how he does it because I, I haven't heard. But that would be an example of why you might want an author to do his own book. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a big Stephen King fan, but I may go back and find one just just to see how good a job he does on it. Some authors are pretty I good. Yeah, I really like. I uh, I don't think he's perfect. I mean, he's not my very favorite author, like a lot of people are. But I like his and especially his earlier stuff. And I, I've had I've been fortunate to do what I think is maybe his best book that I got to record was The Green Mile, and I really, really, really enjoyed that book a whole lot. 
Um, so I have good things to say about Mr. King. Hmm. I have not read that book. Again, it's a book I've oh. heard about. I've heard it's about it, but I have not read it. And uh, but, it's one of the uh, one of the few movie adaptations of his books that did not turn out to be disappointing. Um, just about all of his books to me. There are, there are some really good movies that have been made about his books, made based on his books, but uh, they never in my mind lived up to the book itself. And uh, there have been a lot of terrible movies based on his books too. But The Green Mile is spectacularly good. Very, very, very good. I I'll recommend it as a book. Movie I recommend it as it's wonderful. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, it's coming from a guy who best. read it. Yes, it's very, very good. All right. Now tell us how a day goes. How long are your sessions? Um, how many days a week, et cetera, et cetera? How does all that work? Okay. Uh, first of all, sessions are two hours long. Uh, and uh, there are four sessions blocked out in a day at the printing house so that they can get two done in the morning and two done in an afternoon. Now, no, no one person does all those sessions, but that's the way they space them out. Uh, I, a, a typical week, if I'm being kept busy, um, if I'm being kept busy with books that, you know, I've got a book now and then I have a book where it's waiting for me to be done so I can do it next. Uh, I will do probably four days a week, one session a day. Um, so, you know, over the course of, uh, a week, I've read for eight hours out loud and, uh, it works out best that way there on occasion, there will be days when I'll do two sessions in a day. Uh, but that's, that's pretty hard. Um, hard. Okay. Let me, let me back up. It's not hard. Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of a strain on the voice. Uh, it's kind of a strain on your concentration. Um, so I like to not do it that way if I can help it. But uh, everyone, there'll be a break between sessions. So it's not like I'm just going straight through. But uh, that would be a, a typical week for me would be maybe to go in for the 1030 session uh, Monday through Thursday and read until 1230. Mm -hmm. That's it. Go on home. Uh, but that's the way that works out. All right. You told me an interesting story yesterday about uh, an author named John Lascois. And I wish you yes. would take time and, and repeat that story because I think it's fascinating. Okay. Uh, this goes back to um, uh, what you mentioned earlier in the show here uh, when you asked me to talk about the Hardy Boys. Uh, John Lascois uh, writes, I think he's still writing them. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't done any of his books for a while. I think they're partially recorded too. Um, a series of books about, uh, again, it's legal thrillers uh, and his main character is Dismas Hardy. And uh, in one of, uh, well, let me back up here. Uh, I was invited to uh, go out to Los Angeles uh, to appear before one of the groups out there. And uh, they had invited me and uh, as, as a narrator uh, guest, to speak to their members and uh they had an author guest that happened to be john lasquois and i had recorded a lot of his books and i really liked them so i was really excited about getting to meet him and uh before the event i was talking to him and i was telling him i just thought one of the most clever things i've ever seen an author do was what he'd done with dismas hardy and he said what are you referring to and i said well uh 
I remember that on, in one of his books, business is uh, talking about his parents. And uh, it is only mentioned one time on this one page of this one book, but he refers to his father, Joe, and his mother, Iola. Uh, well, Joe is not a name that's going to jump out at you and make you, you know, sit up and think, where have I heard that before? But Iola is. And then I started to suddenly realize, wait, Dismas's last name is Hardy. One of the Hardy boys was Joe, and Joe's girlfriend in the Hardy boys' books was Iola Morton. Uh, so this was a real clever way of telling us that Dismas is Joe Hardy's son and Frank Hardy's nephew. And so he's the next generation of the Hardy boys. And uh, Mr. Lasquois was very pleased to hear this. And he said, I was the first person who had ever mentioned to him that they got that. You know, he stuck it in there, but nobody had ever noticed or at least nobody had ever said anything to him about it. And I thought that was kind of unusual. I thought there would be some geek, you know, just as geeky as I am who would have done that. But uh, uh, that was uh, <laughs> that was my connection with Mr. Lasquois. All right. Now, just out of curiosity, uh, there's mm -hmm. another author that you read a lot of books on named Steve Martini. Right. Um, about an attorney named Paul Madriotti. Now, yeah. if you had to, how would you compare Dismas Hardy to Paul Madriotti? This is going to sound bad because it's going to sound like I'm saying bad things about these guys, but I, I have a hard time distinguishing the two. But it's because I really like them both. They're of a genre, no question about that. I think both authors would agree that there's a certain formulaic quality to what they're doing. So uh, there isn't anything extremely different about them. So I can't tell you that I like one more than the other, but I can tell you that both were in that uh, category of books you mentioned earlier, uh, in which I looked forward to going to record them because I wanted to find out what was happening next to yeah, I, I go back sometimes and reread them, A, because I like the book, and B, also because I like the reader, who a lot of the time is you. Oh, so well, I, like to, I like to go back and reread that stuff. Now, we, yeah, we, we talked fun. about the... Go ahead. No, I say they're, they're fun. And, and in a couple of instances, I did... Uh, go back and uh, find older versions of before I got, before I started reading uh, either of their novels, because they did, there were Dismas Hardy books, I think one or two that came out before I got to start recording them. Same thing would be case, uh, would be true in the case of Paul Madriani. And I went back and uh, found them on my own so I could read them. It's, it's interesting that you uh, read books cold. I remember talking to an author named Ann Sperber who wrote a book on, on Edward R. Murrow. And the mm -hmm. gentleman who was reading the book was from the American Foundation named mm -hmm. um, Ralph Lowenstein. Okay. And, he, and he told me this, and she did too. He used to call her every couple of days to make sure that he was getting all the pronunciations right of, of World War II locations where Murrow was broadcasting from. Oh, okay. So yeah. he really he really went all out in, in in doing that. Although I've never heard you mispronounce anything or make any mistakes. Oh, you haven't listened 
I'm doing enough stuff. <laughs> I imagine <laughs> I I certainly start off doing that. But no, that's another. I need to give a shout out on this. I'm glad you brought this up because it's not just a question of me reading the book and I'm the only one actually doing it. We work with monitors who are listening to every word we say, and these monitors are not only critiquing, you know, uh, any any squeaks in our chair or any cracks in our voices or anything, but they are also researchers and they're really good researchers. And uh, 99 times out of 100, if I, you hear me uh, pronouncing an obscure place name uh, in Europe or uh, Russia or someplace like that, I believe me, I did not know how to pronounce that, but they came through and had that ready for me. And mm-hmm. so, you know, they... Uh, they know that uh, that I'm going to see this coming up, and uh, they'll prepare me before it when we're moving into that chapter. Be okay. You know, here's what you got to do, and you get to a difficult pronunciation. A lot of times, you know, I'll I'll have to do that sentence over maybe you know 15 times. You know, you never know. It's just mm-hmm. it, until they're happy with the way I've done it, and then we move on. Um, some things aren't all that difficult. It's just a question of knowing how to how to pronounce it. Some things, though, uh, some German words that seem like they have 47 syllables, they actually take, uh, I, I have to write them out phonetically and uh, work through it. You know, it may take me out of my two hours, it may take me 15 minutes to finally record that sentence, but those are rare. Mm-hmm. Um, but, that, but they're important. Uh, the, the narrators, if, if the narrators didn't have the monitors and researchers, we'd be doomed. I'm also willing to bet that because of the advancements in recording equipment, uh, corrections are a lot easier to make now than they were in 1982. Wow, uh, that's the biggest change uh, in the entire process that I can tell you about. It's we were used. We always, when I was starting, and for I would say still up until 15 years ago. Uh, we were still working with reel-to-reel tape. So um, all we had was, uh, when you're going back to do corrections, you know, the person who had proofread the book, they would note the time on the uh, reel-to-reel. And so we knew where to look, but you still had to put on a reel, find it, wind it, go back. Uh, it was, and it was a, just a, a maddening process even to make the, uh, the correction because it was, it was a manual process. If you cut in at the wrong time, you might cut off the sentence before it. If you cut it, cut out too long after, uh, you know, take too long to make the correction. You you messed up the sentence after it. It was a mess. And then we went digital. Everything was completely. It was a miracle. Everything became instantaneous. You just push a button to go to a particular spot in the book. It's right there. You can uh, you know indicate where you're dropping this sentence. You drop that sentence in there. If you go too long, uh, and erase something you just kick back to the previous version and you're back where you were it's it's wonderful and uh, it's made our lives a lot easier all right let's talk about some of the other talking book readers and maybe you can give our audience an update on some like lou harpino uh butch hoover um mitzi friedlander um, uh, mitzi mitzi just passed away not long ago uh, oh I'm gonna, sorry to hear that i'm gonna Oh, that's okay. I, Mitzi was a wonderful lady. She was really neat. As a matter of fact, her son is a good friend of mine. Um, but 
he, she, uh, yeah, she passed away. I don't think it was more than just this past summer. Uh, and she has a st- one of the studios at the printing house named for her. Uh, uh-huh. So that's yeah, she's got her own memorial studio now. Really neat. Uh, you mentioned Lou Harper now. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's still recording. Uh, I don't think I don't think he's doing as much of it as he did, but uh, he's still doing. He's one of the nicest guys in the whole world. He really is. <laughs> I think it even it comes through in his voice too, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he worked for a wave radio here in town for many, many years. That's how I knew his name long before I ever met him. And I met him when I went to start narrating and I found out he was just as nice as he sounded on the radio, but he is a sweetheart of a guy. And Butch Hoover. Uh, Butch, I don't know Butch that well, but uh, <laughs> he's, he's a good guy too. He's a, you know, I know he's won several of the awards that uh, many of us at the printing house have won, and uh, he deserved them. They were well-deserved. Well, it's interesting, too. When I first started reading talking books, there were <clears throat> a great many of them were some of the readers were still doing stuff on radio and television. I can remember watching some Perry Mason shows and saying, hey, that's Carl Weber, the guy that read Kane Mutiny. And there he is uh-huh. in a Perry Mason. Really? That, that's, yep. Yeah, you know, that, that's a standard procedure uh, for actors. It, you know, it's a great thing for an actor. It's another gig for them to do. Yeah, yep. Um, and, and, you know, like, just like with Lou, you know, working at Wave Radio, uh, you know, a whole lot of the narrators uh, that have gone through the printing house were... Uh, worked for local TV stations too, as announcers or as on-air people. Uh, I'm sure everybody remembers Milton Metz. Yeah, I do. Long. Yeah, uh, Milton was a great guy. He, uh, he, jeez, uh, he was on WHAS TV and radio from the time he showed up here, like in the early '50s, until the day he died. And uh, you know, he had his radio show Metz here that was on five nights a week on WHS radio, which is clear channel radio station. So you could hear it around the, you know, all across the country. Uh, he read for the printing house for many years. Uh, Randy Atcher, he was, uh, he was cowboy Randy Atcher on the T Barbie ranch show for kids. You know, you go on there on your birthday when I was little. Uh, and he was a regular reader at the printing house. It, it just, it's a natural thing to do. And Jerry Fordyce, who I mentioned, he was doing some announcing at WDRB, where, which was TV station where I work. That's how I met him. But uh, he was pretty, pretty much the voice of WXVW radio uh, uh, for years before that. And, you know, that it's a natural thing for people who use their voice in their day job to uh, gravitate to narrating books, I think. Yeah, I remember watching TV one Sunday night on a news report, and I heard Barry Bernson, as a matter of fact. Oh, sure. Yeah, Barry was, uh, well, Barry was the co-host of our morning show at WDRB for about 10 years, uh, uh, up until maybe about, I don't know, I, I, time flies, I never can remember how long it is, but until about, you know, five or six years ago. Um, and uh, he had been at uh, our competitor before that wave tv and he left uh, louisville for a while to go work for uh i think it was wls i know it was in chicago i'm pretty sure it was wls and uh yeah he was he was very well known on screen around uh, here and everywhere he went because he he was great he, he might be one of the best reporters for human interest stories that's on american television 
Mm. So he's still doing TV work uh, while he's still doing books. Well, he pretty much retired from TV work, although I know that, you know, he will do uh, every once in a while, he'll pop up and show up on TV and, you know, somebody will get him to uh, host the thing that they may have done. He's not an everyday guy on television anymore because like me, he's retired, but uh, he, uh, he, you know, he, he keeps his hand in, I know. You know, I'll, I'll tell you something else I've noticed. One of the things that they have been doing, taking books that were recorded on record and digitizing right. them and taking out all of the the pops and the scratches and everything else. <laughs> and when you listen to some of those, it sounds like they're reading in a cave because oh. <laughs> the studios yeah. were built differently. Oh, yeah. We have a photo. Uh, I wish I could show it on radio here, but... Uh at the printing house it's of uh, the old setup and it's basically just a man sitting at a desk uh at a regular old table uh no no uh acoustic tiles along the wall right it's just a big room with a big boom mic and uh, he's reading into it uh that he's one of the narrators back then now we we don't have elaborate setups but but our studios are very well soundproofed and uh it's uh it's much easier to keep extraneous noise and uh from getting in and also to avoid that whole cavernous effect that you're talking about mm-hmm. um tell me you're in louisville kentucky the home of yes. churchill downs you ever been you to the bet. derby many times well many ah. is relative but I've, I've been six or seven times yeah tell me tell me about do you have a mint julep uh, sure. I love mint juleps. You'll hear a lot of people. Uh, they, you know, that's one of the things you'll always hear people say, say, oh, man, mint julep may be famous, but it really is a terrible drink. It's not a terrible <laughs> drink. It, it's a sweet drink. That's what it is. But I mean, that's good old Kentucky bourbon there. And, you know, if you make your simple syrup right, it is sweetened. But that's all it is. Basically, it's minty, sweet bourbon. And that sounds pretty good to me, but uh, no, I, I, I just like pretty much everybody else who's grown up in Louisville. Uh, my first trips to the Derby were as part of the infield mob back. Uh, a lot of people go at an earlier age than me, but back in my college days, uh, I was uh, I was out there. I was in the infield the day secretary at one. Uh, that was great, and of course, I was I was uh, betting on sham instead of secretary. Uh, <laughs> I never. I, that's pretty much emblematic of my success at the track. But I, I love horse racing. And but what I did was I probably went two or three times during uh, uh, during the college years, like I say. And I, I got fed up with it because you know back then you you couldn't see a horse. Uh, you might see for literally one second, you know, through the crowd as as uh, the horses would would run by the fence in front of you. Uh, so I like racing. So I decided, you know, it was much better on, on Derby day to stay home watching on television. That's so I could see it. But like everybody else, you finally think, ah, maybe I was overestimating how bad it was. I'll go back. And so I went back another time, didn't go into the infield, but I just stayed in the paddock area and that was better, but it still wasn't the same. And then while I was working at the station, one day I had to go there, we were entertaining clients. And so I had to go to the Derby, but uh, that wasn't bad because we had our own, you know, luxury box. And so I got to experience the Derby, you know, with some VIPs and all that and nice buffet and our own bedding windows. Now that's the way to go to the Derby. <laughs> and then, uh, 
my daughter and I decided to try it again just about uh, two or three years ago because she likes horse racing as much as I do. And uh, we went on Derby Day, and it was it was fun. We had some seats, um, but now I think I'm probably done with it. It's you know, it's still I love. Now, I'm not going done with going to the track. I love to go to the racetrack, but on mm-hmm. Derby Day, I kind of appreciate getting together with some friends and having a party and watching the races all day. And and then I'll be back out there the next week, maybe on Thursday afternoon when I've got the whole place to myself. <laughs> um, that answers now. I'm sure there are a lot of people that are listening that have been hearing the news about uh, the tornadoes that went through there. Tell me oh, how yeah. things are with, with you guys and if everybody is uh, A-OK. Yeah, well, everybody in Louisville is fine. Uh, the, the tornadoes uh, are, it's really, it seems to be one massive tornado that just stayed on the ground for about 200 miles. Uh, everything we hear about it tends to indicate that it was like about, uh, uh, 700 yards wide and you know tornadoes generally are known to skip they're tremendously destructive but they 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 come down and then they hop up again and they they bounce around and finally peter out after maybe you know x number of miles this thing uh, the the more they put together their information on the destruction is just a pretty much undisturbed path of destruction about 700 yards wide for 200 miles it, it was insane uh and uh, un- uh, unfortunately for mayfield it's a very small community it's about 10,000 people uh that live in the extreme southwestern part of the state and it's about 250 miles from here um they were that that town is practically gone it's pretty amazing uh i would say fortunately we have so far fewer than 100 deaths now that's that's a rough thing to be to feel fortunate about. But uh, when you see the destruction, it is kind of amazing that it wasn't worse. Now, I know we're going to find out about more as days wear on, but I think that's you know going to be reasonably close to the number. But in any case, it stayed on the ground and I can't vouch for, you know, anyone along that path. But fortunately for me, I don't really know anyone. I have any any close family members or anything. And I, as far as I know, everybody I know is fine and good. But the tornado tended, it seems that it petered out maybe about 50 miles before it got to the Louisville area. And uh, so we experienced very strong winds, very strong rain. It was a big storm here, but uh, nothing, nothing like uh, the destruction that you're seeing on on television. Now, my last question, Ray Fouché, I take it, has a family? Yes, he does. Uh, Not a huge one, but a wonderful one. Uh, my wife and I have been married for, uh, we're coming up on 43 years. This, no, no, I take that back. It's yeah, sure. I'm right. What am I saying? 43 (laughs) years. And 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 one week from today, it'll be 43 years. And uh, we had one beautiful daughter and she has uh, gifted us with uh, a wonderful son-in-law and a uh, son. Um, I am my only grandchild right now. And uh, he'll be three years old uh, in a couple of months. And uh, there will be a uh, little granddaughter joining him in a few months, too. So uh, that's my family. Uh, that's great. And I was, I was thinking, if you had a family, I bet your wife has never heard the phrase, this book has continued on the next cassette. <laughs> that's right. She hasn't. But she came in handy on a lot of the books because uh, she was a corporate law, a corporate attorney. Uh, uh, throughout most of her career 
And so, uh, you know, I, I was kind of familiar with a lot of legal terminology, which I was using in those Jack Swipe Tech and Dismas Hardy books. And uh, I kind of had a feel for that. Well, I got to tell you, I have I have really enjoyed this. I have thought about the possibility of interviewing you for an awfully long time. And, and I'm glad we were able to do it. And uh, someday I hope we get a chance to meet. If you ever come up to Boston, my wife makes the best chicken tenders in the world. And oh, wow. um, maybe maybe Never we can been? get you up to maybe we can get you up to Batavia to speak to our alumni association. I would love that. I've never been to Boston, and I, I would love to meet people at your alumni association. Uh, uh, Boston, I, I, as a matter of fact, Boston is where my daughter and her husband went on their honeymoon. Uh, now that's you know a lot of people travel to Boston, but I don't think too many people go there on honeymoon. Uh, but they're both big city fans. They love big cities, and they're both big baseball and sports fans. And so it was natural. They they went there on their honeymoon. They they caught a couple of Red Sox games. And uh, they've gone back several times since they fell in love with the town. Well, that's great. There's a lot, certainly a lot to see here in Boston. And, and I'm sure our audience has enjoyed hearing behind the scenes, Ray Fouché. And, and I really appreciate it. Is there anything you would like to uh, say to our audience before we wrap this up? Well, just uh, I hope you keep on listening to the books. And I, I'm so glad for all the people who uh, say so many nice things about uh, my job, because uh, it's something that's really dear to my heart. It, it's the one thing I've always said that I would do even for free. Now, don't tell the people who pay me for it, but uh, <laughs> it, it, it's been great. As soon as I discovered it back in 1982, I thought, this is a wonderful thing to do. Uh, and I have met so many nice people and I've gotten to visit so many nice places over the years that I wouldn't have been invited to. I got, yeah, let me tell you, I, I, I was telling you how much I like horse racing. Uh, I like to go to different tracks around uh, the country because I like Saratoga is a wonderful place for uh, uh, the, the Traverse Stakes. And there's a lot of them I try to visit. Uh, the, the group I was mentioning when I met uh, uh, John Lasquois was based in Los Angeles and they invited me out and I suddenly realized Santa Anita was going to be running that. So I thought they're going to pay me a little honorarium to come out here and I would pay them to come do this <laughs> thing and get to go need it. So opportunities like that have sprung from, uh, from this thing I do. So, and I've been uh, grateful for every one of them. Well, I'm grateful for you giving of your time and uh, your stories. And uh, I, I can't thank you enough for doing this. Well, I can't thank you enough for doing it, my, uh, too, because I really, like I say, I enjoy doing this, and I, I like getting a chance to uh, hear from all the other people who uh, listen to me from time to time. Well, again, thank you so much, and that will do it for this edition of City Talk. Thanks for listening to another great conversation with Ken Meyer and friends. You can contact Ken by email. The address is kjmeyer7 at gmail.com. That's K-J-M-E-Y-E-R-7 at gmail.com. Tune in next time for more conversation with Ken Meyer on City Talk. We hope you enjoyed our memorial broadcast of the interview that we did with Ray Fouché. He is a man that many of us will not forget. And it was a privilege to have him as a guest on this program. We'll see you again with another show next week. Good night.